First Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning as we start a new series of messages called Prioritize. Prioritize. As I said in the email this week, whenever we prioritize something, whenever we set it apart, whenever we make it a priority in our life, we designate it as more important than other things. And we order our life in such a way that shows its value, that shows its worth, that shows that other things are subordinate to it. They come second to it. They come behind it. And as we start 2020, a new year, even a brand new decade, right? A brand new decade. We're looking at our priorities as a church and we're aiming to help cultivate and embrace and develop a synergy around our commitment to what's at our core, our core values, our core convictions, what shapes us and forms us as a congregation. Okay, so that's what we look at for the next six weeks. And this morning, we want to take a look at the first one of those core convictions or core values called gospel centrality. It's one of the core convictions at the heart of who we are as a church. So in other words, when we say gospel centrality as a core conviction of our church, we want everything that is said, everything that is sung, everything that is done to be centered on and rooted in the gospel. Now, there's a whole kinds of definitions of what the gospel is. Let me tell you briefly. Some of you heard me say it similar to this before. But the gospel is not about you doing and doing. The gospel is about Him coming and having done. Okay, it's news. It's not advice about what you go and do. But it's news about what He has come and done for us and in our place. The gospel is the good news that God, out of His great love and mercy, has chosen sinners like me. Like me. If you're not a sinner in the room this morning, then the Gospel has no relevance for you. (laughs) But sinners like me. He's chosen to save sinners like me. And the way that He's done that is through the sending of His Son who would come and live a perfect and sinless life in our place. right? The life that we could not live. And then He would be strung up on a cross and He would die the death that we deserve to die as those who had rebelled against God and run from God. And, and run and rule our own lives. That He would live in our place, die in our place. That He would rise from the grave, ascend to the right hand of the Father from where He awaits the word go from His Father to return and to heal and renew and restore all that is broken in this world and usher in a new age of perfection and harmony and completion and absolute unity between God and His people. That's the good news. That we want everything that is said, everything that is sung, and everything that is done at Redeemer to be built upon. And if that's going to be true for us, then listen, all of what we do, all of what we say, and all of what we sing must rest on the centerpiece of the Gospel, and that is Jesus Christ. Right At the center of that news is this One who has come and lived and died and risen and will return. And so everything must rest upon Him. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning as we enter into 2020 of what it looks like to have everything rest on Jesus. You with me so far? So gospel centrality. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's writing a letter to a church, uh, churches that are dispersed, scattered across the ancient world, across the ancient Mediterranean region, who were beginning to become victims of persecution and opposition, both personally and politically. And so as a result, they're beginning to feel pressure points. And he's encouraging them to stay faithful and reminding them of what it looks like to live as an alien or a stranger in this world. And a part of that, he says, is your maturation. In chapter 2, verses 1-3, to he talks about babies and, and, and milk. 
nourishment and maturation, but then he shifts metaphors in the verses 4 to 8, and he shifts from babies to buildings and from physical maturation to spiritual construction. And that's where we're going to be this morning as we look at what it means to rest everything on Jesus and have the gospel at the center of who we are and what we do. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, if you don't have it in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me, but let's read it together. Beginning in verse 4, Peter says, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. So as we consider what it means to rest everything on Jesus in 2020, here's what I want to tell you. This text teaches us something about what it is to rest everything on Jesus. And it teaches us this, that Jesus is our irreplaceable and non-upgradable cornerstone. Okay, He's irreplaceable and He's non-upgradable. Alright, so let's take a look at that this morning. Listen, a cornerstone in the ancient world in the ancient world, in ancient building uh, methods, it was a perfect, precious, and chosen stone that provided support and strength and stability. It was always the most expensive stone, so it was precious. It was always a select stone, so it was chosen. It was the stone that everything else was measured against. The cornerstone was laid in place first. It was the stone that was stronger than all the other stones so that if any of the stones above it lacked structural integrity, the cornerstone, everything came to rest upon it and it helped make up for the lack of integrity in the stones that were laid on the courses above it. The cornerstone was the foundation of the building and all the angles of the walls and the level of the stone courses would be extended from it. The cornerstone, as a result, must be square and true. If you've ever tried to build anything, you know if that first angle as you're building isn't square and true, then everything's going to be running off. Your cabinet doors aren't going to open right and shut right. You know what I'm saying? So the cornerstone had to be cut square and true so that everything would run square and true off of the lines that it would shoot. Right? So the cornerstone, listen, if you want to put it simply, it was a stone upon which all other stones rested. A stone to which all other stones were related. Every other stone rested on it and every other stone was related to it in some way, shape, or form. Now listen, in verse 5, Peter says this, he calls us living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. And listen, that spiritual house that is being constructed needs a cornerstone. It needs a stone upon which all the others can rest and all the others can be related to. And the cornerstone that Peter is describing here is none other than Jesus Christ. Listen, He is the living stone in verse 4 that is chosen and precious. In verse 6, He is the cornerstone and the stone that was rejected by the builders. Those are quotes from Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118. Listen, He came to His own. He was rejected. He came to His own, but His own did not what? They did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, He gave them what? The right to become 
children of God. He's rejected by his own. The cornerstone that was rejected, God has, the stone that was rejected, God has set. God has made the cornerstone to, upon which everything rests and everything relates. And it's Jesus. If you look in verse 4, it says, as you come to who? Him. Who's the Him? Right? There's a pronoun there. Who's it relate to? Let's go back in the text and consider this for a moment together. The Him is Christ as you see Him in chapter 1, in verse 19. 18 and 19. You knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In chapter 1, verse 13, we're told that there's a day that's coming upon which Jesus Christ would be fully revealed. And until then, we're to set our hope on Him. In, in chapter 1, in verse 3, God is blessed as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through taking Jesus from the grave and raising Him up to live again. To become a living stone upon which all the other stones rest and relate. So this Jesus was raised from the grave after He shed His blood, the precious blood of a spotless Lamb. And God threw that later cornerstone upon which you and I are to rest and relate. And listen, this cornerstone, church, it's irreplaceable. It's irreplaceable. You know what that means? Now listen, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Okay, Don't get me wrong. You can try to replace Him. Well, you try to do that. You know how poorly that works. Okay, you can try to replace them. You can try to substitute something else as the cornerstone in your life. But listen, whenever you do, whenever you do, you will become a slave to whatever it is you put in its place. Because everything relates to the cornerstone. Everything relates to the foundation. And you will become a slave to whatever it is that you try to build your life upon. Augustine uh, said it this way. He said, in a building, the foundation is first. Whoever then has Christ in his heart so that no earthly or temporal things, not even those that are legitimate and allowed, in other words, not even good things, are preferred to him, has Christ as a foundation. But if these things, the earthly and temporal things, are preferred, then even though a man seems to have faith in Christ, yet Christ is not the foundation to that man. And listen, church, whatever it is that you set as the foundation, you try to replace Jesus with, whatever you set as the foundation will become your foreman. You know what a foreman is? It's a supervisor. It's one who has authority over you. It's one whom you're serving. You're following his directives or her directives. You're carrying out their will. And whatever you set as the foundation will become the foreman. And listen, there is only one foreman who loves you. There's only one foreman who has served you. And there's only one foreman who will forgive you whenever you fail him. And his name is Jesus. That's why he's irreplaceable. But listen, he's also, secondly, non-upgradable. Some of you kind of giggle when I say that. It sounds a little funny, doesn't it? But he's non-upgradable. Because listen, in today's culture, we're trying to upgrade everything, aren't we? We add technology into everything. I can remember back in the day whenever I first got a cell phone, flip phone, you know, um, and um, I remember people before that had little bag phones, little bags they carried around on their shoulders. Some of you are like, what in the world is that? Right? So, so all you've ever known is an iPhone that you just do this with, right? I had a little flip phone. And I remember the first phone I got on my own of having a contract with a wireless provider. 
And you could not upgrade that thing. It could be like, it could be like waterlogged and cracked and broken. They're like, oh, sorry, we can't help you. You're still under contract. Can't upgrade yet, right? So you've got to figure something else out. But now it's just like you just trade them in and trade up and get better and newer and bigger. Right? But technology being added to everything, including furniture. Mm. Listen, a couple of years ago, I remember going to visit my family down in South Louisiana, and they'd just gotten some new furniture. Now, I grew up in the 80s and early 90s whenever recliners were manual operation. Okay? They had levers on the side, right? That you go click, 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 and they'd lean back and you could kind of rest. Right? And when you put them down, it's like, cacao, right? There's, you can't put those things down quietly. Wake up the whole house. Right? And so I remember going to my parents' house, and they'd just gotten new furniture. They'd gotten a new recliner. They'd gotten a new couch. They'd gotten a new love seat. The love seat had little cup holders in the middle. Had all these USB ports that you could plug everything into. It was this white leather. Now listen, I never figured my parents were white leather people, but they got white leather. It was all buttery soft. You just kind of sunk into it. Okay? But it had these buttons on the side that you could raise and lower the footrest with. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Right? I don't get the bicep workout or the hamstring workout anymore whenever I'm operating the recliner. The love seats had them. The sofas had them on the ends. It's amazing. But I tell you what, listen, one of the things those manual recliners did for me as a child is every single time I was out of line, Every single time I was disobedient, every single time I was rebellious, and my parents would try to correct me and redirect me, and I would not listen. Listen, that struggle was real for me as a child, okay? Some of you know that struggle well, okay? But listen, every single time they'd be sitting in that recliner, and they'd be, son, stop, son, stop, son, stop. And all of a sudden, cacao! And I knew a reckoning was coming. Right? A reckoning was coming. It struck fear in my heart. So a couple years ago when I was visiting my parents, my kids were out of line. And I kept calling to them from that buttery, soft, white leather sofa. And they continued not to listen. They continued to rebel. They continued to do their own thing. And I thought, a reckoning is coming. And I go to get up. I don't know if you ever try to crawl out of those things without putting the footrest down. It's not it's dangerous. But listen, I go to get up and I'm like, where's the, there's no lever. There's no cacao. There's no striking fear in the heart of the child any longer. There's no signal of reckoning is coming because I'm like, that's it. <laughs> Hang on a second. I, I'm, I'll be there in a minute, right? Because see, the upgrade of adding, trying to add power to that, in the adding of power, lost some of its power, some of its effect to, to, to strike fear in the heart of a disobedient child. And listen, any time you try to upgrade Jesus to make Him more powerful or more palatable to people in our culture, what you do is you end up not adding power to it, but robbing it from Him. Maybe I'm by myself this morning on that point, but listen, that's exactly what you'll end up doing is robbing power from Him. Consider this. Those who try to pass Jesus off as a good teacher, they're like, why do we have to have all this atonement stuff? All the blood, the sacrifice, the sin. If you try to pass Jesus off as a good teacher, here's what you'll never have. You will never have people who write and sing songs that say things like, 
this. There is no other so sure and steady. My hope is held in His hands. When castles crumble and breath is fleeting, upon this rock I will stand. Glory, glory, we have no other King but Jesus, Lord of all. If Jesus is only a good teacher, right? then your hope is not held in His hands. And He is not your King. He's your counselor. He's your therapist. He's your advice giver. Not the one who's ruling over your life, church. And those who try to make the Gospel more palatable in our culture by saying things like, hey, listen, listen, you don't, you don't necessarily, here's what the Gospel is. You get to partner with God to make the world a better place. Right? And they try to sell the Gospel off as if, right, here's, here's, you don't need to repent of sin. Right? You don't need to trust Jesus. You just need to use your abilities and gifts to go out and help make your community a better place. You need to partner with God to do that. Listen, they will never write songs like this. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. It will lose its power. It will evaporate before your eyes anytime you try to upgrade Jesus to make Him into something that He's not because you think it will be more powerful or more palatable in the culture in which we live. That's why I say He's our irreplaceable and non-upgradable cornerstone. And listen, when it comes to Jesus, you've got two options. Second point. Two options. You can either build on Him or be broken by Him. Those are your two options. There is no third in between. Listen, in verses 7 and 8, Peter says this. He says, For those who build in or build on and build upon Jesus, they believe in and build upon Jesus, there'll be honor, right? But for those who reject him, right, they build their life on something or someone other than him, they will stumble because Jesus and the gospel are offensive to them. He become a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling in their life. They will fall over him rather than throwing themselves upon him for mercy. Okay? And so he says, listen, you can do one of two things. You can either have honor by believing in Him and trusting in Him, or you can be put to shame by rejecting Him and stumbling over Him and being offended by Him. In fact, Jesus says it much stronger than this in Matthew chapter 21, where He quotes Psalm 118. And listen to what He says in verses 2-44. to Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. See, Jesus says that the kingdoms will be taken away from those established builders in Israel and given to those who produce its fruit. Repentance and righteousness. And then He says, the one who falls upon it will be broken to pieces and those upon whom it falls, it will crush him. And listen, there's a day that's coming in which He'll return and He will fall. And those upon whom He falls will be crushed. They'll be crushed in judgment. And you may say, that sounds harsh, but listen, Thomas Brooks, a Puritan pastor, said it this way. He said, everything that a man leans upon but God, right? everything that a man builds upon, rests his life upon, everything that a man leans upon but God, will be a dart that will certainly pierce his heart through and through. But he that leans only upon Christ lives the highest, choicest, 
safest and sweetest life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you can build on things other than Jesus, but when you do, they're going to produce pain and sorrow and difficulty and hardship and affliction in your life. Every single time when you rest your life upon something or someone other than Him, and if you continue to do that with all of your life for the rest of your life, to build your life on something or someone other than the cornerstone that God has made irreplaceable and non-upgradable, here's what happens. That the pain that you feel from building your life upon anything or anyone other than Jesus in this life, it will extend like an undotted line all the way through eternity. As you're in pain forever and ever and ever and ever. So you can either build on Him and have honor, or you can build on something else and be broken by Him. Those are your two choices. We don't get the option of a third. So, what do we do with this? Let me give you two things this morning. How do we respond to this? How do we build on Him? To believe in Him, like Peter says. If you believe in Him, you will not be put to shame, but you'll have honor. What does that mean? Let me give you two things. First of all, it means this, you rest your identity upon Him. Church, you rest your identity upon Him. Listen, Peter quotes Isaiah 28.6 and says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame, but what does it mean to believe? So one of the functions of a cornerstone in ancient buildings would provide support, as I said, other for every other stone that would rest on top of it. And as I said before, if there's a lack of any integrity in any of those stones, then the cornerstone would be one that could absorb the additional stress, absorb the additional weight. It was the foundational and strongest stone. And listen, I want you to know something, church, that there is no one and nothing that was engineered to bear the weight of your identity other than Jesus. No one and nothing can hold you up and support you through every season of your life because it wasn't engineered to do that. Not you personally, and listen, also not us corporately as a church body. Let me start with us corporately as a church body. Nothing and no one was engineered to bear the weight of this church other than its cornerstone that God cut, select, and put into place. But at times, in churches, the weight of the church can shift. It shifts and begins to rest on something other than Jesus. And one of the ways that you see that right, is whenever a church's weight begins to shift, it begins to become known for something other than Jesus in its community. It begins to have a reputation for something other than Jesus being held high. Jesus being talked about. Jesus being preached. Jesus being sung about. Jesus ordering our lives. Something or someone other than Him gets set at the center and its weight gets shifted. And Now listen, that church, one of two things will happen to it. Either it will decline and die, or, listen, it may continue to grow, but it will cease to be a true church. It will cease to be a true church. Let me, let me tell you, let me, let me see if I can break it down for you this way. Listen, when a church becomes known in its community as the hip, trendy, relevant church, then there's a good chance, that's its reputation in the community, there's a good chance its weight may have shifted off of Jesus onto floppy hats and skinny jeans. 
I know I just offended some of you. When a, when, when, listen, when a church becomes known in its community as the place with the cool building or all the programs, as the place that promises financial blessings and physical healing, as a place with rock and music, as a place that has involvement in all kinds of community ministry, right? there's a good chance when that's its reputation that its weight may have shifted off of the true cornerstone that God has set because something else has become central to its identity other than Jesus. Now listen, some of those things are not bad things. Some of those things might be neutral things. Some of those things might be good things. But if a church is known by them, if that's its reputation, right? And the only time you hear about Jesus is when He's born at Christmas and when He's raised at Easter... Okay, that's the only time you hear about Jesus, then there's a good chance that that church's weight has shifted if every week they're not holding Him out before your eyes to behold His beauty, to marvel at His majesty, and to declare His goodness and grace. He's the only one designed and engineered to bear the weight of a church. But He's also the only one designed and engineered to bear the weight of your life. I want you to know that, church. There's nothing else that can do that for you. Because every one of us, just like every church has a cornerstone, every one of us in this room has a cornerstone. Something upon which our identity is resting. Something that we consider to be central to who we are as a person. And listen, while every one of us has a cornerstone, not every cornerstone is the same, and not every one of them can support you the same. Listen, some of us, our cornerstone, something that's central to our identity might be our job, our vocation. Uh, it might be things like um, how successful you are, right? how big of a brand you might have built. Other, other people might have central to their identity, their family. Other people might have central to their identity, their reputation and their image to those around them. Everybody that's perusing their Facebook and uh, feed and their Pinterest boards, right? What kind of image you can project about yourself, that's central. What other people who I may never even talk to in person think about me, that is central to my identity, Right? We all have things that we're built on, whether it be families, vocations, uh, identity, repu- or reputations, and images, whether it be success. We all have things that we're building on. We all have a cornerstone, but not everyone is engineered the same. And listen, if one of those things is a cornerstone, then whenever it's removed, your life will come collapsing down around it. And the only way, church, to ensure that your life does not collapse when something that might be important is removed, is if what you're building upon is uncollapsible. You with me? Let me see if I can show it to you this way, all right? If I can get this off without destroying my object lesson. This, the giant Jenga, right? Giant Jenga. Now, how many of you played Jenga before? Okay? So, in Jenga, there's a strategy, isn't there? Right? So you walk up to the blocks and you start poking at them. You're like, where is the weight not resting? Okay? There's got, oh, that one slides easy, right? So listen, if this is your job and you get a pink slip, okay? Get laid off, downsizing, and that falls to the ground, your life is still standing, okay? If your family, right, begins to have conflict or challenges or issues, here, right? It's, it's important in your life, right? But it's not central to your identity. And that 
starts to crumble and it falls to the ground, right? You're still standing. Okay? If your success, everybody wants to be successful, don't they? We want to be contributors our workplaces and our relationships, but success, and you begin to hit a downturn, you're not having as much success, you're not being as effective as you were, and that takes a hit, that falls to the ground, you're still standing, but listen church, if job, success, or family, or down here, everybody knows in Jenga, right, where the true weight rests, if they're down here, and you start trying to knock them out, that's what happens to your life. It collapses around you. But listen, if at the bottom of those blocks is something that can never be removed, never be taken, never be stripped from you, does the person of Jesus Christ and your identity rest in Him as He is beloved by His Father? Isn't that what He said in Matthew 3? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And listen, whenever that word beloved shows up in the Gospels, it shows up exclusively in reference to Jesus. But whenever you get to the epistles, the authors of the epistles begin to take that word and they begin to use it toward each other. Because the authors of the epistles say, listen, if Jesus is the beloved Son of God, you are in Him, then we are beloved. So the authors speak of each other as being beloved, but they also speak of their audience as being beloved. God in Ephesians, Paul says it that way. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That God loves you. If that's where your identity rests, you can take all these other things away and yet your life still stands. You can lose a job. You can lose your health. You can lose family. You can, be, you can have a downturn and be unsuccessful. But God, through the person of Jesus Christ, is able to support you because He's the only one who was engineered to do that. I don't know if anybody else is with me this morning, but that's good news for me. Listen, how do you know then if your weight has begun to shift onto something else? Listen, one way to know, give me a diagnostic test. One way to know is if there's constant anxiety related to getting or keeping something or someone in your life. And I'm not talking about normal anxiety that we all feel, but I'm talking about constant, nagging anxiety that you have about getting or keeping what you've gotten in your life. And it could be that thing has moved downstairs and become a, something upon which you're building. What about this? Do you measure the worth of others on the basis of their family of origin, their vocational success, their ethnic or racial identity? Then it may be something that is important but not critical in your life has moved downstairs and become a foundation upon which you're building. Because whatever you're building on, you're going to use to measure the worth, value of other people. Because it's so central to you, how can it not be so central to them? What causes constant anxiety? What do you measure others on the basis of? Right? What shakes you to the core? That you just can't escape. See, some of us think that what we need is the wind to stop blowing or the rain to stop falling in our lives or the waves to stop pounding and the floodwaters to recede. When in reality, what we need is not the storms to stop, but the instability and security to be managed by replacing our cornerstone. Coming back to the only one engineered to bear the weight of your life. To rest your identity upon Him. 
even as we seek as a church to rest our identity upon him. You know what I want our church to be known for in the community? When people go out of here, say, man, every Sunday when I show up, they tell me about Jesus. They sing about Jesus. And they order their life around Jesus. Anybody with me? All right. Second, before we're done, second, you run your life along the lines he projects. You run your life along his lines. See, one of the functions, as we said before, in the ancient world of the cornerstone was to shoot lines to keep everything square, true, and level. Right? So as a result, the shape of the cornerstone determined the shape of the building. If the cornerstone was rectangular, the building would be what? Rectangular. If the cornerstone was square, the building would be square. If this cornerstone was triangular, like the flat iron building at the corner of 5th and Broadway in New York, right? then the building would be triangular in its shape. So the cornerstone determined the shape of the building. And listen, church, the same is true in our lives. When it comes to the cornerstone of Christ, running our lives along the lines He projects, allowing the shape of His life to affect and shape our lives as we bring our lives under His authority and as we bend our wills towards His, as we submit ourselves to His teachings and commands, and as we follow Him as disciples, ordering our everyday, ordinary lives around Him. So listen, in 2020, what that might look like for us as we run our lives along His lines is this. It might look like those, might look like those of us who, whose lives are squared up to Jesus would be, we would be missional, we would be sacrificial, we would be hospitable, and we would be secure. Right? We'd be missional. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, Jesus comes with a mission that He wants to reclaim and rescue and redeem those who are f- broken rebellious people, okay, like me and like you. And listen, whether or not you feel like you have the gift of evangelism, whether or not you feel like you're very skilled at evangelism, whether or not you feel like you're really eloquent with your words whenever you open your mouth, listen, those whose lives are run according to His lines, they too share a similar heartbeat of wanting to see people come to faith in Jesus, to have their eternal destinies altered, to have their lives here and now slowly piece back together into the image of Christ as He becomes the cornerstone upon which they're building. If we're going to run our lives along His lines, then we're going to be missional people so that the church wouldn't exist to create a nice space for all of our families to gather on Sunday morning so that we can be safe and secure from all the bad people out there in the world. Okay, that's not why we're here. We're here to point you to Jesus so that you can grow in Him, and we're here to point them to Jesus so they can come to know Him. And a church whose ministries is run along the lines of Jesus' life, ordered around His teaching and His heart, is going to be a church that is missional. Second of all, to be sacrificial. In Luke chapter 5, verses 8-11, to we read this. It says, But when Simon Peter saw... He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with him. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. When they see the power of Jesus displayed before their eyes, what did they do? 
They leave behind their nets. And they say, Jesus, we want to be in on that. And so they're willing to sacrifice things in their life. Set things aside. They're willing to prioritize and say, these things, while important, are not critical, but these things, I'm willing to sacrifice these things in order to achieve those things. To be a part of what God's doing. What is it that we are willing as a church, and you as an individual are willing to lay aside in 2020 as you run your life along His lines? Listen, there are also hospitable disciple makers. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus says, Make not converts, but disciples. Right? Those whose lives are ordered around me, who follow me. Teach them not just to know all the things that I've taught you, but to do what? To observe, to do all the things that you've seen me do, the things that I've taught you to do. So you pass that on to others and teach them to do those things as well. And listen, the only way, church, you can have all kinds of talking heads and you can have all kinds of videos that you watch, but the way that discipleship happens is whenever you as a Christian open your life up to other Christians, you're hospitable and you invite them in and you walk alongside of them and you make investments personally in their life day after day, week after week, month after month, and you mentor them, you disciple them. And listen, lives run along the lines he projects. They're hospitable. They open their lives up to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples to the end of the age. Fourth, those whose lives are squared to Jesus, they're also secure. They're also secure. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, we read these words. Everyone then, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it, has been, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Listen, there is a security that comes in building your life upon the, the rock, the cornerstone of Christ. So that even, no matter how high the waters rise, no matter how strong the winds blow, it's going to shake some of your branches, church. It will. It will. But listen, it will, you will not topple. And listen, there will be a security there in your life if you're building your life upon Him, if you're running your life along His lines, there'll be a security there. Let me ask you this question. In 2020, what insecurities have plagued you over the course of your lifetime, or your life, the last year, the last month? What insecurities have plagued you that you want to be free from? Jesus says, if you want to be free from those things, He says, listen, build your life upon the rock. Run your life along those lines that He projects out as the cornerstone. That you might be true and square so that when the earthquake happens, and they do, don't they? They do. When the earthquake happens, there might be a few broken windows, but the structure is still standing. They're missional. They're sacrificial, hospitable. They make disciples. They're secure. 
or secure. Now, I want to close with this. How is it? How is it? Right? If Jesus is irreplaceable and non-upgradable, if that's what He is, a cornerstone for us. And if we have two choices, to build on Him or be broken by Him. Like if we're going to rest our identity on Him, we're going to run our lives along the lines He projects, what's going to essentially get us over the hump to do that? What's going to per- persuade us If you're not a Christian in the room this morning, what's going to persuade you to stop building on your job, stop building on your family, stop building on your success, stop building on your wealth, stop building on your achievements? And if you are a Christian in the room this morning, listen, I know we sing that hymn here frequently, right? Come thou fount of every blessing. My heart is prone to wander. Anybody else's heart prone to wander this morning? Anybody else prone to see things as central to your life that ought to be peripheral to your life? I know I'm tempted to do that at times. What's going to help you move those things back into their proper places so that Jesus and Jesus alone is the cornerstone for your life? Here it is, church. You've got to see what it costs God to lay it. You've got to see what it costs Him to lay it. Look at what he says. He says, in verse 4, Peter says that Jesus is a living stone. A living stone. Now listen, he's not a living stone because he was a living person. He's a living stone because he is a living person. Resurrected from the grave, seated at the right hand of God. And in order to become resurrected from the grave and seated at the right hand of God, he first went through the valley of the shadow of death. That He gave His life in our place and for us. See, when Peter quotes Isaiah 28, 16 and verse 6, it says, Behold, I... Who is the I? God is the I. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. It was always costly to lay a cornerstone. It was always expensive to lay a cornerstone because of the strength of the stone because of the cuts and precision of the stone. It always costs something. And so when God lays the cornerstone, you know what it costs Him? It costs Him His Son to lay the cornerstone. He laid it. And He paid the expense for it to be laid. And listen, church, if you don't see that, if you don't see that out of His great mercy, out of His great love, out of His unfathomable grace, that He paid the expense to lay the cornerstone for you to build your life, then you're going to keep shoving job and shoving family and success underneath there, trying to rest your identity and run your life along their lines. And you're going to find this happens every time. But if we as a church body, and if you as a part of us, would see that Jesus was laid into the ground for me and for you. And that is the way God laid cornerstone. Then all of a sudden, the loss of a job, the loss of a spouse, the loss of your success, of your career advancement, all of a sudden those things are moved to the proper places. And you're able to be strong and firm 
unstable. That's my hope for you in 2020. You know who else I hope that for in 2020? Me. And for us. That the gospel will be at the center of our church, be at the center of your life. Because Jesus is the one upon whom we will be resting together.